Well, this is continuing in our studies in Hebrews and coming on to what in actual fact might be quite a, a difficult chapter. I would remind you that in Hebrews I'm actually using the New International Version only because I, I've, I'm finding that the language is a bit clearer than in the Orthodox, although I prefer the uh, authorized version. Anyway, moving on from what I was saying last time, we're dealing with quite a number of legal issues because this book is written to the Hebrews. And so it it's relating much more directly, and in most of the references, you will find quite clearly that it is more applicable to understand when you see it from a Jewish perspective. So, at the end of verse 6, we did come up to the question of Melchizedek, and in chapter 7, now we do have to basically spend this chapter on dealing with who Melchizedek was and what the significance is. Now, it says, Paul says quite clearly, Melchizedek was a king. He was king of Salem, and uh, most uh, people would believe that that meant Jerusalem. Um, he was also a priest of God. So Melchizedek is identified with two things, king and priest. And it's quite interesting, before we actually go into this with Melchizedek, that we are described as believers, as both kings and priests. So here, for the first time in the scripture, in reference to the Old Testament, do you get this joint position of king and priest? And it says in this opening part, he met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, this is extremely unusual. And it's unusual in the sense that it's mentioned here in the New Testament, um, in Paul's writings. And therefore, we have to look at Paul's writings and realize that there was a special significance in everything he's dealing with. And so let's have a look and see if we can find out why. He met Abraham um, after Abraham had uh, defeated the kings, and uh, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And not only did he bless him, but Abraham gave him the tenth of everything. Now, we need to have a look at this tenth, because um, under the Jewish law, it was the Levites, the, the priests who, uh, coming from Aaron and from Levi, uh, that tribe who 
um, in order to live because they were set aside for the worship of the temple, did receive one-tenth from the others. So it's quite significant here. It's, it's not just the priests. It's here Melchizedek is given the same. And if you look at the name Melchizedek, it is also significant because uh, the name Melchizedek means, Paul says, king of righteousness. So he is his name means king of righteousness, and also his position is king of Salem, which means king of peace. Salem is peace. So the next thing that comes out is very clearly that and you have to understand this, that Paul says that he had no father, no mother, no genealogy, and was without beginning of days or end of days. <laughs> so, in other words, um, he is not... Um, in the normal sense of human descendancy, that he had no father or mother, he had no genealogy, he had no beginning of days and no end of days. So this is where Paul sums it up when he says, like the Son of God, because the only other person in the whole of Scripture, the whole of uh, the Bible, there's only one other person who has no beginning and no ending besides God himself, and that is Jesus himself. Um, so we're really entering into quite something here. Now, in verse 4, it says, look how great this Melchizedek was, even Abraham, who was a patriarch, Abraham, who was um, the very founder of the race, gave to Melchizedek the tenth. Now, it wasn't Melchizedek giving to Abraham, but Abraham acknowledging that Melchizedek was greater than he was, because the greater doesn't give to the lesser, the lesser gives to the greater. This is very interesting. And then in verse 5, it explains this. Now, the law requires the descendants of Levi, who became priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. So this man in verse 6, Melchizedek, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him. And yet he was blessing Abraham, who had the promise. You see, if you go back into the previous chapter, chapter 6, verse 13, God made his promises to Abraham. and. Uh, it actually says in, in this 13th verse of chapter 6, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, that is God, saying, surely 
I will bless you and give you many descendants. And so Abraham received what was promised. So it is quite significant that here um, what it's saying in chapter 7, verse 6, is that Melchizedek, who had no record of his genealogy, yet collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him, Abraham, who had the promises. You know, this does bring something out here that there are ten specific issues here. That with Melchizedek, he's only mentioned in three books of the Bible. Not only that, but very strangely, when you study scripture, you'll find out that there is more written of Melchizedek in the New Testament than in the Old. That's surprising because the Old is the history. We recognize the third thing, and there's, there's ten points here. The third is that Melchizedek lived at the same time as Abraham. Now, the other thing, and this does here come out, because in verse 3, um, when, it's, um, when Paul is saying that he had no father or mother, had no genealogy, it's very interesting. The more you study Scripture, the more you find out that the Jews were absolutely emphatic about genealogy. <laughs> right throughout, I mean, even in the New Testament, uh, you get the genealogy of, of, of Jesus. And right through the Old Testament, uh, I, I know the first time I read the Bible through from one side to the other, I was, I was shocked by the genealogies, the lists and lists and lists. And yet, here Paul says that this is the only one who has no genealogy, not Melchizedek. So this puts him as something different. The second thing is that although he did not descend from the line of the priesthood, and remember, under the law, you had the line of the priests with their genealogies, it actually indicates that without that genealogy, he was still referred to as a priest and a priest without end. We'll come on to that in a moment. Now, the other thing that is interesting is that when you move on from here, um, it says in uh, uh, verse 5, the law required the descendants of Levi to collect a tenth from the other tribes, although the other tribes are descended from Abraham. This man didn't trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the man who already had God's blessing. So, this Melchizedek had a blessing greater than Abraham. Uh, it says in verse 7, without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Uh, <laughs> in verse 8, you get something quite intriguing. In 
this particular case, the tense uh, is connected by men who die, but uh, it's interested, but it's those who are living that actually give the tenth. So in verse 9, one might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still part of the ancestry. Now, this, is, this has become something quite uh, interesting here because if you move on to, to verse 11, um, what you see is this. Perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood on the basis of the law. Now, if that is the case, that through the Levitical priesthood, it could, they could confer upon the people a sinlessness, a, 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 a blessing, uh, that an uh, absolution from sin, because the priests made the offering for sin for the people. So, if this was the case, why did we need to replace the priesthood, which we're going to come to in a moment? Because he says, as Paul says, in, 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 still in verse um, 11 here, um, if the law was given to the people and that law covered sin, why was there still need for another priest and one who is in the order of Melchizedek. It's very interesting. So that the prophecy is that there would come another priest who would be like Melchizedek. You know, it's, it's very interesting because the more that you look at this, the more we study it, and the more in the past I have studied it, we must come to the conclusion that Melchizedek, because he was without genealogy, without father and mother, and apparently didn't die because he's a priest forever, he could only have been a, a, a type of Jesus, in fact, some suggest that he was a pre-incarnation of Jesus because there are two people in the Old Testament who are very unusual. One is Melchizedek uh, because the only person who could fulfill the role of Melchizedek was to be Jesus. The second is the one with whom Jacob wrestled. Because you know when Jacob was afraid of his brother trying to meet Esau, and, and you remember he, he, he went uh, apart and in, in the night he met with this angelic visitor and the angelic visitor wrestled with him through the night and in the end, neither could prevail 
But that visitor touched Jacob's thigh in order to that it ended the fight. But he also blessed him and said, as a prince, you have power with God and with men and have prevailed. Prevailed even with God. Now, that took place in that battle in the night. So there are two clear people, and one can only assume, and I'm not alone in saying this, that both must have been in some way a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus. Now, that opens up a whole lot that I'm going to have to deal with later. But let's move on from this. We're coming back to verse 11, where uh, Paul says, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, why was there need for another priest like Melchizedek? Not after the order of Aaron, not, not, not with a genealogy going back to the priesthood in Aaron, but he says in verse 12, when there is a change of priesthood, there must be a change of the law. So, uh, in verse 18, he of whom these things are said, that's Melchizedek, belonged to a different tribe. And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. So, the, any tracing of Melchizedek does not link him to the legal priesthood. So, in verse uh, 14, it's clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that, uh, from the tribe of Judah, Paul says, Moses had nothing to do with priests. So, strangely enough, the genealogy of Jesus does not trace back to an earthly priesthood. I mean, this is very interesting when you're talking about churches and priests, that uh, Jesus did not descend from the Levitical or the priest line, nor did Melchizedek. So, uh, in verse 15, what we have said is even more clear. If there is another priest like Melchizedek who appears... Verse 16, one who has not become a priest on the basis of law as through his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. So you have a whole new order of priests who are based not on genealogy, not on ancestry, not on the old law, but on a whole new basis that they become a priest because they have an indestructible life. And then verse 17, for it's declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So verse 18, Paul says that the former basis of the priesthood is set aside because it's we can do this. For 
The law never made anybody perfect. I mean, law will punish. The law will form its rules, but the law doesn't make perfect. We know that today. Uh, and in verse 19, what he's saying, that a better hope is introduced by which we can draw near to God. Verse 20, it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath, but Melchizedek became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn, sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. And because of this, Jesus has become the priest or the guarantee of a better law and covenant. Now you begin to understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New. The New Testament is a new totally new covenant replacing the old. Wow. Verse 23. There have been many of these priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he, unlike earthly priests, has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, because he is a permanent priest and, as we're going to see in a moment, did not offer a separate sacrifice. You know, the priests had to offer a sacrifice for sin. Jesus was different. He, as priest, offered himself. So he became different to the earthly priests he became something totally different. He became king of peace, but he became a priest with no genealogy, but a priest because he is eternal and became the sacrifice for our sin. So it replaces Jesus. It's absolutely clear. clear. Jesus replaces the earthly priests. And he goes on, he says in verse, um, verse 23, there have been many of priests uh, since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he ever lives, he always lives, to intercede. So he has, Jesus is the only one who has a permanent priesthood because he presented the sacrifice to his father and lives as our priest, our high priest forever. Verse 26 such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted about the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all. So we don't need the sacrifice today other than the sacrifice that Jesus has made, 
which when we accept and in effect make Jesus our high priest, that sacrifice covers all our sin from the whole of time, from the beginning to the end, from the moment I accepted Jesus as my Savior, I accepted him as my high priest and accepted that the one offering he made of himself will atone for all my sin, all my sin. Wow, now do you see the difference? You see, he sacrificed Jesus for our sins once, for all our sin, when he offered himself. For verse 28, for the law appoints as high priests men who are weak. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, Jesus, as Son of God, who has been made perfect forever. Now that leads us into chapter 8, which we'll deal with next time. The point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary. Oh, let me deal with that next time. God bless you. Thank you. This is really intriguing and I'm enjoying it. Thank you. My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. When you are committed to and support the gospel, then stand on this promise that when you give to the extension of the kingdom, God will supply all your need. Jesus called it giving and receiving. This year God has given us wonderful opportunities to preach the gospel in Armenia, Georgia and Poland. And we continue to support Ukraine by distributing humanitarian and spiritual aid. For 12 months, our staff have helped the displaced, vulnerable and injured, supplying food and medicines. To make a donation, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash donation. would like to give you a free gift. David Hathaway's Prophetic Vision magazine is available free of charge. All you need to do is ask for it. This faith-building resource will show you the path to revival in your life and ministry. To receive this free magazine, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash magazine. Strength for now and for eternity. David will guide you through the Apostle Paul's letters to the Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. David has written this book to strengthen your faith at a time when everything around us is being shaken. Join David as he delves deep into the truths of the Bible. Order David's book, A Firm Foundation, by visiting our website, eurovision.org.uk forward slash shop.